Hello and welcome to our podcast Chipping Away with your host Akash Indarka. Before we plunge into our topic for the day, let me thank you all for your overwhelming support, encouragement and your thoughts and comments. Keep spreading the love and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at chipinawayind and shoot us an email at chipinawayind at gmail.com. So Akash, what are we going to talk about today? This time, we have something very abstract in store for you. Something that could be considered personal and something that's very relative. Only time will tell you what we have in store. Time is the most frequently used noun in the English language. A few of the other important nouns or most frequently used nouns are day and year. As you can see, time and time-related words govern a lot of our daily speech. And I think time is very personal as well. Sometimes we tend to characterize people based on time. Some people are punctual, some are tardy, or some are just late latifs. Yes, some of us tend to wake up early in the morning and some of us tend to work all night long. Time not only has an external exhibition but also a sense of internalization. It governs us when we are hungry, when we wake up, and when we want to go to sleep. Right, and these rhythms have a name. They are called circadian rhythm, right? So this circadian rhythm is internal clock as if by which you make sense of the surroundings and you are in tune with the surroundings and yourself. So not just humans, but even animals and birds follow some internal cycles, such as birds returning to their nests in the evening or animals going out to graze at a certain time. Yes. Human beings are very observant. We've observed changes around us, be it seasonal or even based on animals, annual migrations of various animals and birds, as well as the behavior of different animals such as the groundhog, have helped us get some sense of the time and changing of time around us. And it's not just the circadian rhythm, but also the other cyclical events in nature, which are predictable, as well as they recur reoccur after a certain point of time, such as rising and setting of the sun, changing of the seasons, or even the lunar phases of the moon. Give us an estimate about the passage of time and the recurrence of some specific cycles after a fixed interval of time. And based on these celestial or natural phenomena, or reoccurring cycles or reoccurring clocks, there are a lot of calendars that came about in South Asian society, being predominantly agrarian. So agriculture was tied to nature and cycles in nature were tied to timekeeping according to the agricultural cycles. So the harvesting of rabi, that is winter crops, or kharif, that is summer crops, also governed how we started keeping time in South Asia. For instance, most of the prominent calendars in South Asia that we know of today start with the harvest day as first day of the calendar. So the festivals of Ugadi, Navre, Cheti Chand, Pesakhi, Putuhandu, Bihu, Vishu, Nababarsha, or even Gudi Padva commence the new year of Chaitra in the South Asian subcontinent. These calendar years either govern on the annual movements of the sun or even the different phases of the moon. Using these celestial systems, we can measure changing times. These, along with other celestial phenomena such as equinoxes and solstices, 
have been important landmarks in our measurement of time. Various archaeological monuments such as Stonehenge and even different temples have some important uh, features associated with these celestial events. A temple in Bangalore, the Kavi Gangadhareshwara Temple, built by the founder of Bangalore, Kempe Gauda, has these two large circular dishes that are ascribed by many to be some sort of astronomical devices to measure these solstices. We could add Jantar Mantar to this list. So Jantar Mantar, one in Delhi, one in Rajasthan, were originally conceptualized as observation towers to observe these celestial phenomena and to make astronomical charts. So the one in Rajasthan at Jaipur was built by Maharaja Jaising II, I think somewhere around 1723 CE, or I think it was completed in 1724. And various structures on this Jantar Mantar or this monument helped measure the angle of sun's rays and make accurate charts to look at the solstices and the equinoxes. Interesting. I wonder how similar and different they are. Well, historically, not only have we used celestial beings, but also important human figures and human events to define our measurement of time. For example, throughout history, various kings and various dynasties or the founders of these dynasties used regnal years as their measurement of time. And speaking of regnal years, we have two important calendrical systems in South Asia. One is Vikram Samvat, which was probably started by a king named Vikramaditya. Now, Indian history is replete with instances and mention of Vikramaditya. So we don't know which one exactly. But this Vikram Samvat starts in 57 BCE and marks the first year of the rule of that king. Similarly, the Shaka era, what is also known as Shalivahan Shaka, was started by a king in Patan in Maharashtra. Interestingly, Shakaira also marks the March equinox as the first day of this calendar. Isn't that interesting? And I think Shakaira starts in 78 CE. And do you know, Shakaira was also adopted as the official Indian calendar in 1957. And I think a lot of inscriptions also mention these days. Not just important kings, but also important events have initiated or started calendar systems. Hmm. For example, the Al-Hijri calendar, uh, which is also currently followed in South Asia, marks the voyage taken by uh, Prophet Muhammad from Mecca to Medina in 622 CE. So while Vikram and Shakaira are based on the solar cycles, the Hijri calendar does the same based on lunar cycle or phases of the moon. Speaking of cycles of the moon and the sun, when we come to smaller measurements, say a day or an hour that we call today, People used various devices in the past before we had our wristwatches and digital clocks to know how time passed. The earliest examples of these are known as water clocks. Examples of these are in South Asia, in East Asia, as well as in Europe. Of the many references in Indian literature on water clock, one of the labels for water clocks is Nalika Yantra, where Nalika is probably a pipe and Yantra is a contraption, a tool, a device or a machine. Is this where we get the word Nala from? Oh, possibly so. So when it comes to water clocks, there are two variants. One, wherein a fixed rate of water flows into the device. And two, where a fixed rate of water flows out of the device. Oh, and I have a story about water clock. So in medieval India, approximately around 12th century, 
the mathematician Bhaskaracharya devised an elaborate water clock that was to measure the exact moment or the auspicious time when his daughter could get married. So he created a water clock in the form of a large copper vessel with a small dish with a perforation or a hole in it that was floated on the water in the larger pot. So the idea was that the water would enter the dish, make the dish heavy, and finally the dish would sink at the bottom of the copper pot, making a ting sound. Ting! And when that happens, that moment will be the auspicious moment when Leelavati gets married. However, our curious Leelavati peeped inside the pot to see how far the dish had sunk in. So I guess she was very eager to get married. <laughs> I would guess so. And when she peeped in, one of the pearls from her necklace fell into the dish and blocked the tiny hole in the dish. Oh Lord, so no water could enter and the dish did not sink further, making the ting sound. So the auspicious moment was passed and Leelavati remained unmarried. However, Bhaskaracharya was no ordinary man. He later wrote a whole companion on mathematics and titled it Leelavati. So she did not get married in the end or did not get a husband, but she got a book named after her. Oh, at least that was nice. Well, at least she got a book named after her, if not a husband. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of husbands, in medieval times, people used to use sand to measure time, like how we have the modern day hourglass. Wait, how did husbands remind you of sand clocks? Well, don't you want to bury them under piles of sand too? <laughs> Not only sound and sight, but also other senses such as smell were used in measuring time. In East Asia, various candles and incense sticks had fixed lengths of time that gave out a fixed fragrance. So for example, you had a time that was defined by jasmines, another time that had rose in the air. And guess you didn't have to carry a wristwatch all along because you could just tell time by smelling the air. Oh, but I think you'll be pretty disoriented if you're walking in a garden. So all these hours added to days, these days into months, months into years. And these years recorded in calendars always had some sense of zero, some point that anchored them. For example, when we talk about the modern calendars, we use the terms common era before common era or BC, AD. So there is a sense of zero that anchors it. In the BC, AD system, the zero is the birth of Christ. In order to make it more secular, we use the terms BCE, before common era, as a substitute for BC and CE, common era, as a substitute for AD. So if you're using a different calendar, except for the one we're currently using, say for example, the Vikram era, because its zero is 57 years before our zero, instead of 2020, we would be in 2077. Or if it was Vikram, where the zero is 78 years after, you would still be in 1942. So by flipping through calendars, we are actually traveling through time. And if we were following Hitri calendar, we would still be in 1441. Wait. But wouldn't it calculate to 1378 instead? Oh, that's a good point. That's because of the lunar cycles. So in lunar cycles, that is based on the phases of the moon, the total number of days in a year are far less as compared to the 365 days of a solar year. And hence, we have this difference in the calculations. 
so you mean to say that our summer vacation comes earlier every year oh that is fun <laughs> well if we have to scientifically study time we need a neutral anchor point that is not dependent on any human events so for that we use the term bp before present and the present is defined as 1950 why is it 1950 oh i'll give you a clue it had to do with a lot of nuclear testing Poof. oh so all the nuclear testing hmm you mean to say radiocarbon exactly and because we use radiocarbon to date some of our earlier discoveries because there's changes in the amount of radioactivity in the atmosphere samples after 1950 give us very difficult things to date ergo the present is 1950 Radiocarbon dating is the most common way that archaeologists try and absolutely date the past. In this case, we look at organic material such as wood, bone, teeth directly, especially if they are burnt, to see how far ago something lived and something died. We look at the ratio between carbon-14 and carbon-13 and try and decipher how old these artifacts are. Oh, and then there are other dating methods like uranium but let's not get into that what really excites me is dendrochronology because it has to do with trees so we look at the trees and the logs at the archaeological site and look for the tree rings so these are the rings that the trees make annually or sometimes biannually based on the species of the trees and these rings give us an estimate into what the climatic conditions at the site were when the ring was formed sometimes we get to know the level of the rainfall or drought or any other natural phenomena or climatic conditions that might have persisted at the site or were present at the site and this gives us a good reflection into what the humans at the site might have experienced and based on these events we can date the site and the artifact when not for dendrochronology or radiocarbon dating and we cannot actually date the exact artifact we have to date the sediments they are found in so in this case we look at various sand crystals such as quartz and feldspar and we date them using a technique known as thermoluminescence it's through these methods we can date the past directly in cases where we can't get exact calendar date we rely on dating methods which are relative something that they draw connection from other associated objects once its relative dating method is stratigraphy so in stratigraphy we look at the layers of deposition at a site what that actually means is that the material that was deposited at a site before will form the lower layer and the material that is newer or later in time will sit on it making it a new layer on top of it say for example You've gone out of town for a few days and when you come back outside your doorstep you find newspapers and letters all piled up usually the ones that are at the lower level came first and then it accumulated on top of it so for example the newspaper at the base would be the oldest and the newspaper on top would be the most recent this is the same principle in stratigraphy the layers that are below are older than the layers that are on top can also measure the magnetic fields of these different layers as we know the earth's magnetic field keeps changing it's normal like in the present or in the past in various times it was reversed so if we can accurately measure 
the magnetic field of these different sediments and layers we can kind of understand if it was closer to the present for some time to the past and we can also look at the artifacts at one site or various sites together and study it uh, in comparison to each other to form a series this is called as a series dating we can understand the chronology of these objects looking at the stylistic development the artistical changes or even the changes that come with the use of material tools and various regional currents for instance if we take a look at sculptures let's say from gupta period the pre gupta sculptures would have different bodily proportions for sculptures than the gupta period and the later ones the facial expressions sculpted in the sculptures might also look different based on the regional style once we know standard style of a region based on the time period we can estimate what comes first and what comes later but obviously this needs lot of pooling of resources and a team of experts to form such standardized sequences so you mean to say the trajectories of development can also help you understand how old an artifact is very much so oh that's interesting so on that note i think it's time to call it a wrap indeed well i guess it's time to say goodbye then but we'll be back again after a fortnight with a new episode of chipping away in the meantime follow us on twitter and instagram at chipinawayind and send us an email at chipinawayind@gmail.com ding